tonight, we're starting a subject that I believe will push the envelope a bit for all of us. It is designed to have us push the pause button on our lives and rethink a few things. The title of this series is, What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> now let me start by saying that love is indeed an action word. Now for those of you, let me just put this out really quickly. For those of you who are familiar with the song having the same title as this message, I will prove that love is not a secondhand emotion, as the song says, okay? So that is clear. Quite frankly, love is not a mere feeling. It is a force, and that's how I want us to think about it. Now, I will say this is a subject matter that when I started working on this, this could be one of those things that could go on and on and on, probably for four or five months, maybe even longer than that. But I'm not led to do that with this. This is going to be a few sessions, but it's not going to be extremely long for this reason. I want to have it encourage you, stimulate you, and kind of nudge you into doing a little bit more studying about it yourself. Because the more you do that, the more you just absorb it into your being, it's going to ooze out of you. Opposed to you just coming and you sit and you hear us say this and that, you know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You take notes. I don't know if you really get a chance to look at the notes after. I don't want to do that with this. I want this to be like you sitting on a pin cushion that makes you go, ooh, I want to I find out more and move forward with it that way. I want you to experience the action and the power that's involved in love. We do tend to use that word too loosely in the society. You know, like you'll see somebody and go, oh, I love your earrings. Do you really? I mean, come on. You may think the earrings are nice. They're lovely. They may have complimented the outfit. But do you really love them? No, you don't. We, we just kind of do things like that. And I want this to kind of shake us up to realize what is meant by the word love. Just like we know, for instance, that friend, and if you don't know, we're going to see it even a little bit more in this lesson. Friend is a covenant word. You will hear me say all the time, I may have a lot of family and I may have a lot of associates. I have few friends, okay, because friends is a covenant word. And I want us to start looking at love as the super force that we have in the covenant we have with Christ. So I want you to just kind of like come and go with me on this journey. You're going to need a notepad if you don't have one or your phone or wherever you take notes. And I didn't start the clock, so that was just free. Okay? Um, because I am going to be jumping around with a lot of scripture. Okay? And again, this isn't for you to see how many scriptures I can give you. That's not it. But I want to prove what I'm saying to you through the word. Not my opinion. But the word is always our final authority. Amen? Okay, so with me setting all of that in place, as I said, love is definitely a force. It's the true foundation, when you really think about it, of, our, of your whole entire Christian belief. It is the foundation of it. Without the force of love, you will not see and enjoy the rest of God's promises. 
That is a bold statement, which will be proven as we study the subject matter. As Christians, we know right away that love is our foundation. And this is made clear where? In John 3.16. Now, I happen to appreciate the King James Version the best. And we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, and that's why I like it, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I like this version because whosoever, you can't, you can't miss what that means. It means just about anybody and everybody. Whosoever. Okay? All they have to do is believe in Jesus. And I really, really like that translation. If we look at it in the Amplified, it says, and that's the other thing, I will pause and say this. I am going to be using translations for a reason. Jot them down in your notes. This way, when you go home, you can check out the different translations for yourself. Because, as we already know, one translation will say one thing, another one will give us even more information, and this is why, of course, I always use so many translations. So if we look at this in the Amplified, it says, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes and trusts in him as savior shall not perish but have eternal life. Now the reason why I like that is because you can see some people who will believe in Jesus as a storybook character. They believe in Mickey Mouse. He's at Disney World. Okay, but this specifically makes it clear. You have to believe in him as your savior. That's different than just saying you believe he exists. That's what the Amplified tells us. That's why I like this particular translation. Because if you trust and, if you believe and trust in him as savior, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's important. Now, the message makes it super clear. You really can't miss this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God did not go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. That is a translation that you can read to someone, and that pretty much says it all. That's why, again, we have the different translations. Now, God, his love for us, it's abundantly clear. He came up with a way, when you really stop to think about it, to rescue us from the world system being run by Satan. That's important for people to understand. Too many people around you will think that all of this chaos that's going on, God is sitting up in his throne room orchestrating it all. He's angry, so this is why he has a storm over here and a hurricane over here. And, you know, they tell children things like, oh, the thunder and lightning, it's God crying, you know, or he's angry, so he's yelling. Oh, it, 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 you could cringe at the things people say, but they honestly believe this in their heart. They don't realize what is going on. 
and we have to understand that. We have to be patient with them and be able to, whenever we can, clarify it so that they understand that this world system, this kingdom of this world, it is being run by Satan at this point in time. And we need to let them know that. Now, of course, this is happening thanks to the high treason committed by Adam in the Garden of Eden. Love, however, is the greatest power in the entire world. Actually, it is the greatest force the universe has ever known. Now, why do I say this? It's very simple. God is love. Turn with me to 1 John, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to share it first in the Amplified, and it says, The one who does not love has not become acquainted with God. Here's the qualifier. Does not and never did know him. For God is love. He is the originator of love. And it is an enduring attribute of his nature. By this, the love of God was displayed in us in that God has sent his one and only begotten son, the one who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that is, the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins, fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath. That is beautiful. Now, if you look at it in the message, it's a little bit easier. And it says, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about, not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Now, just from reading that alone, if you stop to think about it, it is clearly telling us that if we know God, if we have a true relationship with God, then we must understand and we must be carriers of what? Love. So if we're not, if you, and, and you know if you're not, okay? If you come to church and you can't even be so bothered as to speak to the people around you who you're going to be spending eternity with, okay? If you are so miffed and disgruntled and just unhappy when you arrive that you can't go out of your way to be nice to the ushers who were only merely trying to give you instruction and seat you. If you just have that going on in yourself, you know it. Nobody has to tell you that. And if that's the case, no, something's missing and you need to put a check there. Because if you know God, then you're loving. And if you're loving, you can just overlook a lot of things. Okay? So that's something to think about. Now, God is not limited. I love this. 
God is not limited in his love. So he doesn't use it occasionally whenever someone may need it. You know, like how some of us do. We'll be nice occasionally because we think it's a nice thing to do. Or how the world does at Christmas time. They occasionally try to be nice to people because it's the Christmas season. That's not how God operates. Absolutely not. You see, it is fundamentally who he is. Wherever he goes, love is there. Whatever he touches, feels it. Whatever he says, reveals it. And wherever he looks, experiences it. His undeniable, unconditional, and unending love can be discovered by anyone, anywhere, because God is everywhere. As Christians, we are caretakers and carriers of this amazing power. The Bible says so, so it's not my opinion. Turn with me to Romans, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. In the New King James Version, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If we look at it in the Amplify with the qualifiers, it says, and not only this, but with joy, let us exult in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship, and this is the qualifier, distress, pressure, trouble, produces patient endurance. So now it's a type of endurance, okay? Proven character, qualifier, spiritual maturity. And proven character, hope and confident assurance of eternal salvation. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And lastly, the message says, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praises even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how, how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. An alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Now, is that not true? I mean, I think so. Definitely think so. When we were born again, we became what? A new creation. Now, as Minister Scott has taught, we really become a new species. I like that. When you really think about that. Now, this was made clear where? In 2 Corinthians. So turn there now. I told you, you are going to be jumping around a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. And if we look at it in the New King James Version, it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, I'm going to pause right there. That in of itself 
is something for a whole lot of Christian people because that's not usually what happens when people walk into churches. And I, I'm not talking about us, per se, our local congregation. I mean churches all across the country. You can choose any denomination you want. You have somebody walk in and they are dressed to the nines, so to speak. Oh, my goodness, it's like they are going to make sure that they get the best seat in the house. They will usher them right up front and put them front and center because they think, oh, okay. Somebody else can come in and they may look homeless. And what do they usually do? They usually try to put them away from people over in the back or on the side. Why is that? Is that something that Jesus would do? Absolutely not. Is that showing his love? I don't think so. That's something we need to think about because being authentic, okay, and you don't have to raise your hand. Nobody will know. Just keep smiling and looking up here. If you were in that position, you have to ask yourself, what would you do? Okay? What would you do? It's happening everywhere, though. But okay. Back to this. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. People are aware of this scripture, they know this scripture, but I don't know that they really 100% comprehend everything in the scripture. So we're going to look at it in the Amplified, and it says this. So from now on, we regard one from a human point of view according to worldly standards and values. Though we have known Christ from a human point of view, now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here's the qualifier, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature. That's important, okay? Again, you will have people, and you know, we've seen this done, and I see it done, and this is why I appreciate our local congregation. When a person comes forward here, to receive Christ, they understand what they're doing. It's not, uh, okay, hurry up and say this sinner's prayer and we're going to give you a little booklet and a mint and send you home. They understand because they, are, they have the word put in front of them. They are given the word. They see the word. It is not something that can be done in two and a half minutes and send them on their way. So they understand by the time they are finished and they have accepted Christ, they understand that they are grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior. It is not some quick thank you, bim, bam, thank you, ma'am. And that is what happens in churches all over the country. And people, I, pick me, that was me, okay? I thought I was saved. I filled out a little card. My heart, I wanted to know 
more about the Lord more than anybody you could ever imagine. I remember the day, that's what's beautiful about our brains, it's like a computer that can pull everything back up. I remember tears streaming down my face. I wanted Jesus. I went up, they opened the doors to the church. I went up there, they gave me a card, like these cards are so important. Yes, stats are important, but not a person's heart. That's what's more important. They gave me the card. I filled out the card. Everybody was all excited. Everybody applauded. They took me in this little back room. There was no Bible there. There was no Romans 10, 9, and 10 there. There was nothing but sign this card and check off what you want to do. Where do you want to go? Do you want to be part of the junior usher board? Junior because at the time I was only 11. So I was part of the junior usher board, part of the junior choir, everything. Okay, but never. Oh, and then I had a first communion. That was a big deal. I remember, I even remember getting a cross with a diamond in the middle for my first communion. I was baptized. Oh, wonderful. I was still not born again. I still did not know it because I thought that I did everything that I was supposed to do. And I was following all the rules that they told me to, but I was not born again. That's happening to people everywhere, everywhere that is happening. So anyway, if that happens, and this is what's key, and this is why I like this scripture so much. I wasn't grafted in him. I love Jesus, there's no question. But I wasn't grafted in him. I wasn't joined to him. I was not an heir of the kingdom. I was not. I didn't know it, but I wasn't. And you see, if you're not, then you're not a new creation. That has to happen in order for you to become this new species. That's why it's so important that we are loving enough to share that with someone so that they too can have that opportunity. Okay, so anyway, back to the scripture. If a person does that, he is a new creature, a new creature, 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 born and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. But all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them out. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that is, restoration to favor with God. So we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We, as Christ's representatives, plead with you, on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That is an awesome, awesome responsibility when you think about it. I mean, Amen. and the message, because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see 
is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. It's created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Again, friend being what? A covenant word. Now earlier, well, even before I do that, this also, the Lord really prophesied all of this was going to happen. So for those of you who want like an Old Testament, you know, way of confirming this, he prophesied that our day that we're living in, that all of this was going to happen, he prophesied it through the prophet Ezekiel. So turn with me to the Old Testament, Ezekiel, the 11th chapter, and the 19th verse. Now, I'll give you a minute to look it up because I know we don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, so people don't really know where Ezekiel is. That's why the table of contents is a wonderful thing. Ezekiel 11. And let me know when you're there. <laughs> oh, look at that. I'm proud of y'all. Okay, Ezekiel 11. Verse 19, so since you're there, let's read it together, okay? Ready, read. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. Thank you, okay. Oh, no, that was, I just wanted verse 19, that was it. But you could read, I mean... If we look at it in the Amplified, it says, and I will give them one heart, a new heart, and put a new spirit within them. I will take them from the heart of stone and will give them a heart of flesh. That is, I like this, that is responsive to my touch. Because that, again, is totally different. Now, if we look at it, and this is, I'll just read it out of the message. Well, tell them this. This is your message from God the Master. True. I sent you to the far country and scattered you through other lands. All the same, I provided you a temporary sanctuary in the countries where you've gone. I will gather you back from those countries and lands where you've been scattered and given you back the land of Israel. You'll come back and clean house, throw out all the rotten images and obscene idols. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new heart in you. I'll cut out your stone heart and replace it with a red-blooded, firm-muscled heart. Then you'll obey my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I think that is really good. Okay. I know. It's a lot of different scriptures, but again, the word proves all of this, so it's not just my opinion. And this whole fact is confirmed in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians. So turn over there. This is really quick. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 6, 
verse 17. Are you still with me? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. So if we look at it, <coughs> excuse me, in the New King James Version, it says, But he who was joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And again, the Amplifier pretty much says the same thing. But the one who is united and joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And the Living Bible says, but if you give yourself to the Lord. See, I like this. But if you give yourself to the Lord, you and Christ are joined together as one person. That is really, really, really special. I like that. So earlier, I said that this series was designed to push the envelope a bit for all of us and cause us to reevaluate some things. I need you to pay attention to the fact that it is wonderful that we can experience God's love in our own lives. That's a wonderful thing. It is. But that's not where it's supposed to end. He didn't give us his amazing love just so that we can enjoy it. He wants us to share it with others. Now, the last time we were together in our last session, um, one of our brothers mentioned his concern for expanding our local congregation. Now, for those of you who were here, do you remember that? Okay. Now, I submit to you that concern is shared by churches all over our country. So I also suggest that part of the reason is because the love of God that is freely given to us, we are holding on to it like a rare treasure we don't want anyone else to know about. I'll give you an example. Say you're at work and one of your coworkers, it, it may not even be someone you know that well, doesn't matter. They come up to you and they are troubled and they're sharing with you um, about a problem that they have. Now notice I use the word problem because for them it is a problem because if they don't know Jesus, it is a problem, okay? Amen. They are sharing that, you know, they may have gotten a terrible diagnosis from the doctor or um, they may not know what they're going to do, how are they going to make rent, you know, whatever their problem is, they're sharing it with you. How often do you sit and you listen to their problem. And you're very like, oh, I understand. But you never bother to share with them the love of Jesus that makes that same situation not a problem for you, but rather just a challenge, because you already know you're assured of the victory. Do you care enough or allow the love of God that's within you flow outside to that person? to be able to share with them that you know someone who can help them so that their problem is only merely a challenge. I'm going to leave that with you. I don't want you to think about that. I want you to meditate on that because I submit to you that there are many times that that occurs, that you're holding on to that love of God like it is a rare treasure just for you. And that is not what he intended. That is not what he intended at all. <laughs> Okay? We've got to tweak that. And the reason we have to tweak it is because, because God wants his love, that love that we carry around, he wants it to explode into the entire earth realm. And we are the ones chosen to carry out the holy task. And this is, again, not my opinion. Turn with me to James. 
the second chapter and the eighth verse. James, the second chapter and the eighth verse. And in the New King James Version, it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well. In the Amplified, it says, If, however, you are really fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, if you have, and here's the qualifier, if you have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit, you are doing well. The Living Bible says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you truly obey our Lord's command. You must love and help your neighbors just as much as you love and take care of yourself. Which means if you do that, when you find that a person is in the midst of a problem, you want to be able to help them see that there is a solution for them, that solution being Jesus. It's just, it's just a wonderful thing. Now, you're already in James. I'm going to share this with you because I thought it was just perfection. It's James, the second chapter, and it's verses 1 through 17 out of the message because it breaks down and explains to you this royal rule of love because we know that we're royalty. We know that we're in a kingdom that's not of this world. And with that, to operate in kingdom principles, which we talked about in one of our last series, we need to understand that there are certain responsibilities, and this explains it well. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, Sit here, sir. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Quote, love others as you love yourself, end quote. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing and keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring others. The same God who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you don't commit adultery, but go ahead and murder, do you think your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you're a murderer, period. Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free. 
For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? That, Amen. to me, said it all. I mean, you got. I, I hope you got something out of that. Now, since you're turning... Turn really quickly over to Revelation, the first chapter. Revelation, the first chapter, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Now, before I read it, I just want to share with you John and his brother James, which are going to be mentioned in these verses of scripture, were among the first apostles chosen by Jesus. Now, for all of us who endured a closer look at 12 ordinary men, you do know that already, okay? They were the sons of Zebedee and Salome or Salome, whichever translation, whichever way you choose to pronounce it is correct, okay? In addition to the revelation, John wrote the gospel and the three letters that bear his name. Also, we're going to be talking about the Roman province of Asia, which is really now Western Turkey, just so that you kind of know that. And it was formed in 129 BC. Um, and like Paul, the Apostle John takes the standard Jewish greeting of peace, which means shalom to you, and modifies it by adding grace, without which no one would obtain peace with God. Um, a literal translation perhaps referring to the perfect fullness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is also within these verses that we're going to read. Um, Jesus was not the first person to be brought back to life, by the way, since he raised others from the dead. That's something to, important to remember. The most notable being Lazarus, which, of course, you can find that out if you read the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. But they had to experience death again, of course, whereas Jesus did not, because he was the first to be restored to life with a glorified, immortal, everlasting body, never again to die, which goes back to a question that was asked last week. That's the difference in a glorified body, okay? Um, what else do I want you to know before we read it? Oh, this is important. All Christians become priests to God in order to offer spiritual sacrifices. And that you can find if you spend some time in First Peter. That goes through that. Um, and of course, they will reign with Christ in the millennium. Okay? So, now that we've gone through all of those things, now we can read it. So, Revelation 1, the first chapter, verses 4 through 7. John, to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, grace be granted to you and peace inner calm and spiritual well-being. That's what's meant by peace in this, okay? Not just whatever you may be thinking. It's inner calm and spiritual well-being. From him who is existing forever 
and who was continually existing in the past, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful and trustworthy witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who always loves us, and who has once for all freed us or washed us from our sins by his own blood, his sacrificial death, and formed us into a kingdom as his subjects, priests to his God and Father, to him to be to him be the glory and the power and the majesty and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes, nations of the earth will mourn over him, realizing their sin and guilt and anticipating the coming wrath. So it is to be. Amen. Now, if we look at it in the message, because it's a little clearer, it says, I, John, am writing this to the seven churches in Asia province. All the best to you from the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive, and from the seven spirits assembled before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, loyal witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of all earthly kings. Glory and strength to Christ who loves us, who blood washed our sins from our lives, who made us a kingdom, priests for his father forever. And yes, he's on his way, riding the clouds. He'll be seen by every eye. Those who mocked and killed him will see him. People from all nations in all times will tear their clothes and lament. Oh, yes. As royalty and a kingdom not of this world, Sharing God's love is clearly our royal duty. It is one of our responsibilities. Think about it. We represent the king of kings. And as his ambassadors, we have a very, very important royal role to fulfill. We were chosen by him to be in his kingdom. This is really special. Turn with me to 1 Peter, and you're familiar with this scripture, I'm sure. You're familiar with part of it, but I want you to see 1 Peter, the second chapter, verses 5 through 9. We all quote 1 Peter 2, 9, but I want you to see 5 through 9. In the Amplified, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, you, okay, I think I will have some more. Okay. You, believers, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy and dedicated priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a chosen stone, a precious, honored cornerstone and he who believes in him whoever adheres to trusts in and relies on him will never be disappointed in his expectations this precious value then is for you who believe in him as God's only son the source of salvation it's not only for you but for those who disbelieve the very stone which the builders rejected 
has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they disobey the word of God. And to this, they who reject him as savior were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation. This is the one we all know. A special people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, do you see the big difference in just reading verse 9 and not reading the verses before it? Meaning, you know, well, anyway, that's why it's Bible study. So we get a chance to read the whole thing. I think it's really, really good. And when you get a chance, uh, well... Okay, I want to look at it in the message. Okay, I'm going to to read it out of the message. It says, Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests offering Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. To you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workmen threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day (laughs) difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accept it. When you really stop to think about how much God loves you, don't you think it would be a nice idea to share that with somebody else so that they too can experience that and just feel that? You know, there are so many people that are hurting and they have no idea just how much God really, really loves them. Now you may ask, how do we accomplish this task? I mean, you know, I'm telling you that we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to share the love of God. You know, and you may say, okay, you know, I'm trying, but I work, I've got things to do, I've got to go home, I'm exhausted, I've built, you know, you could go on and on and on. Okay, I know how we can accomplish it. We can really look to our example. And who was our example? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, okay? So turn with me to John's Gospel. And we're going to look at the 15th chapter, verses 12 through 15. John 15, verses 12 through 15. And we're familiar with this. In the New King James Version, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. That's why friend is a covenant word. Jesus laid down his life for us as his friends. So if you have a friend, you are supposed to be willing to do the same. If not, that is your associate, that is someone that you know, that is someone that you may think highly of, but do not so loosely call them your friend. Okay? That's why I don't have a whole lot, because I'm not willing to do that. A lot of folks, okay? Really? Okay, 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 okay. Uh, wow. Well, needless to say, the timer is not my friend. Um, okay, well, when we come back, uh, we'll continue. And you guys are really silent on me tonight. Uh, I hope you're getting something out of this. Uh, I really do. Um, I think everybody, yeah, I know everybody here. So that's the only reason why I'm going to forego the traditional altar call. But, okay, we'll pick up on it next time. There are a lot of different things we're going to still explore with this. Because there are really some things that we, we really can all think about uh, that I think is really, really going to prove to be interesting.